did this year's dunk contest inspire you to work toward your ultimate goal of dunking a basketball? Dunking a basketball? Um, not really. I don't know. That's a... That's a... I, I have to join a gym. Or just find something high up that you can jump on. Train. Over over and over and over again. I mean, what I still more effective think I would, way to learn to jump high than to jump high? I still think that my legs would need to be stronger. I think that there's a there's a ceiling that's in place right now that I would need to exceed. Yes, I, I think even... one of the most helpful things you could do would be a lot of squats. Yeah. Um, but you know what? You can do that also at home with like a heavy backpack or something. Hmm. Well, maybe I'll be a slam dunk champion. I want to see this through. You're going to slam dunk a basketball, and everyone will say, How tall is a basketball hoop? Um, I've Googled a person who learned uh, to dunk, and here was their program. 10 minutes of dynamic stretching and light track running. 20 minutes of plyometric training, including broad jumps, one-foot jumps, box jumps, depth jumps, and full squat jumps. Um, then leg weights, so squats, deadlifts, and Bulgarian split squats, uh, and then core exercises, and then static stretching. Those are the most painful parts of your body to exercise. The legs? Legs and core. Uh, what's your favorite part of your body to exercise? Core. Well, there you go. That's part of this. Yeah, I can, I really enjoy core exercise. I, I'm happy that that's part of it. Can you send me the program I, I might consider? Sure, this is going to discourage you because the man in this program is six foot and three inches tall. Well, no, that's not, I mean, I, I understand my limitations. I'm not okay. going to, you know. <laughs> All right, I don't think you'll be able to do it in ten weeks like this guy, but maybe, you know, in a year. Yeah, ten feet is how high you have to, well, you have to jump a little bit higher than ten feet, obviously. Right, you have to put your hands above the rim. You at least have to be able to put the ball above the rim. The ball adds some height. Right. It's an extra, like... 24 inches I think a great thing for you to do of course would be to measure your vertical like to get a baseline oh yeah how do you do that well uh, probably an easy way to do it do you have a yardstick yes um, would be to just film yourself in slow motion jumping as high as you can in front of the yardstick yeah I'm not gonna do this right now no I, it, oh, I wouldn't want that I've recorded it uh, for posterity so I will do it and I'll tweet about it Oh, cool. This, this podcast is what's going to keep me accountable to slam dunking a basketball. I didn't actually expect that I was going to convince you to finally commit to this, fun. but I'm happy about it. Gonna hit a hum ride And the littlest league possible In the littlest league possible Gonna make a big splash Welcome back to Tater Tots. Is that energy right? No. Sure. Okay, well, I welcome d- back to... Hmm. <laughs> Go ahead. Welcome back to Tater Tots for another week. This is, uh, of course, the podcast. How do we do this? Welcome back to Tater Tots. Each week we shed a light on a Major League Baseball player who only hit one home run in the 2019 season. I'm Tim. I'm Duncan. And later on we'll be talking about Marlins outfielder Matt Kemp. 56 times you've done this. Every time I think you struggle. Like, there's never been a single episode where you're like, nailed it. I don't ever feel, I don't, I think... I don't like the intro very much, but I don't know how to change it at this point. <laughs> Would you prefer not to say welcome back to Tater Tots? Yes. 
What would you like to say? I don't know. How about welcome to Tater Tots? Welcome to Tater Tots. Welcome to Tater Tots. No, I don't. I don't know. This is Tater Tots. Here we are. It's Tater Tots. It's Tater Tot time. I'm your host. It's time for Tater Tots. Once again, it's time for Tater Tots. Yet again. Yet again, or like, I can't believe it's come back around to this again. Here we are again. Tater Tots, number 57. I'm Tim. I'm Duncan. And later we're talking about Matt Kemp. Uh, uh, But first, we're talking about uh, some outrageous developments in uh, the capitalist states of professional baseball. It's the Comrades of Baseball segment. Listen, folks, Major League Baseball teams have entirely too much money to spend, and they don't spend it in the right ways, and that's why we have this segment of the podcast. True. <laughs> uh, because the New York Mets have spent $57 million renovating their spring training, uh, uh, what's the word? Complex? Complex. Which doubles as the home of the St. Lucie Mets, the Mets minor league affiliate down in uh, Florida. Uh, and unfortunately, the St. Lucie Mets will see not a wink of it. That's not true. I'm sure that so a lot of that money will They will, will see actually... some of, like, probably the gym and whatnot they'll get to yeah. use. I'm, I bet a lot of that money actually does benefit the team in substantial ways, but they're not allowed to use the clubhouse. Yes. Uh, the Mets said, we don't want the minor leaguers to have access to this beautiful and nice clubhouse with good chairs um, because we want to motivate them to make the big leagues. Yeah, that's, uh, to me, not great. I mean, if, if, if anything has ever been so emblematic of the problems of capitalism, right? You, 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 you're keeping the, the working minor league baseball players down and you got to say... You must strive for the ultimate goal uh, to your own detriment, and we're withholding it from you for no reason. I was the one that brought this news item to our attention, Yes, uh, and I was pretty outraged uh, at it at the time, and I still firmly believe that minor league baseball players should be paid a living wage mm-hmm. um, and not have to struggle while they're trying to accomplish their goal. Yes, agreed. However, however, I, in the past five minutes, have come to think that, first of all, I mean, first of all, it's significant, I think, that they're not, not going to see any of the benefits of this renovation. Uh, but second of all, I think that it is, I don't know, do you think that it's inherently a bad thing? For, for someone to be like, I'm going to keep something from you as a motivating factor? Um, I think that 90 plus percent of the time it's probably bad. Yeah. Just, just, just like harmful and not actually. I mean, I, again, I just think it's, it's indicative of a 
relationship in which power is wielded unfairly, right? Yeah, but this is sports, and that's kind of like all of sports. What's another example? Of power being wielded unfairly in sports? Yeah. I mean, there are, there are winners and losers, and there are no ties allowed. There is, it, there is always a zero-sum game. But that is within the context of the game part. This is the real-life element of it, right? You're literally withholding comfort from human beings uh, I, in order I to I... motivate them to perform better to, to benefit your ultimate goal. Yeah. And I recognize that that's bananas and, like, uh, 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 takes away from the dignity of people. Um, I guess what I'm saying, and I'll probably say this a couple more times because we're going to talk about the Astros, uh, some more in this podcast, uh, is that the attitude that is developed within the mechanics of the game and within the, like, competitive spirit of the game is, I, I don't think that we should be surprised when it spills out into, like, the real life? Yeah. Well... And I, uh, Perhaps not I, surprised, but outraged? Yes. You must not uh, uh, let your outrage diminish by um, complace, complacency. Com- complacence. What's the word? Uh, you're, saying, you're thinking of, like, complace. I think complacence is a word. Complacence. I apologize. You don't have to. Okay. Let me make sure that complacence is a word. I first. think you're right. Complacency. Complacency. A feeling of smug or uncritical satisfaction with oneself or one's achievements. I understand what you're saying. Um, and I think that just because something is the norm doesn't mean that we, you shouldn't speak for change on it. Um, I, but but I, I just wanted to temper my perspective. Mm-hmm. And, and I didn't, you know, I, I didn't... On some level, it feels like I I, I don't know I, I don't want to I don't want to seem naive toward what baseball is toward what the professional sporting industry is, mm-hmm. uh, and what it is oftentimes is uh, terribly and unnecessarily cruel. And this is just another example of uh, terrible and unnecessary cruelty, but it is not a lone example. Yes, speaking of terrible and unnecessary cruelty, it is now true. Last week it was almost true, and now it is certainly true that Mookie Betts is a member of the loathed and wretched Los Angeles Dodgers. Interesting segue. Is that I, the segue uh, you were planning on? It seems like you were working towards something. No, but I liked it. Okay. Uh, and I also think that it, it, it ties in, in a sense, to um, uh, the kind of, again, inhumane and calculating thought process that goes into trading a, a star and beloved player for a team you know it uh you, you probably they, they as they've said the red sox have said that they've prioritized quote-unquote roster flexibility um <laughs> which again could probably have been accomplished elsewhere uh rather than deciding not to pay the best player on the team the most fan favorite player on the team the player who's contributed the most to the team uh an amount of money what well i was just trying to finish your sentence irresponsibly you can continue i forgot how i was going to finish my sentence um but that's fine because that's usually how my sentences go uh yeah isn't it yeah um (laughs) (laughs) 
The Boston Red Sox didn't want to uh, be over the luxury tax, which is a meaningless, um, uh, meaningless measurement of how much money a team is spending. Um, when you're spending that amount of money, the additional penalty is incurred by being over that tax are but a rounding error. And yet they said, we cannot continue to employ Mookie Betts or David Price. We must send all of them to the loathed and hated Dodgers uh, in order to gain delicious roster flexibility, which, of course, we will use to retain Sam Travis or something. Who cares? No, Sam Travis is on the Rangers now. Doesn't even matter. I mean, what's the point? Uh, this is a lose-lose, is I think what we're, we're both getting at from different angles. Um, I don't think it's a lose-lose because the Dodgers have clearly made out like bandits. Well, it's a win for the Dodgers, but what I'm saying is that it's a lose for you who doesn't like the Dodgers. Oh, well, it is a big lose for me. It's like you're saying it's a lose-lose both for me. And me, yeah. Okay. A lose-lose-lose. Lose. Two for me, one for you. <laughs> this is our podcast. <laughs> this is the podcast where we talk about how professional baseball players' actions and decisions affect us. I mean, um, in a way it is, but isn't that what every sports podcast is? Yes. Uh, uh, the... Uh, Red Sox in return, uh, in addition to roster flexibility, received Connor Wong, Alex Verdugo, and Jeter Downs. Uh, I googled Jeter Downs, because Jeter Downs is going to come up a little bit later in the episode as well. Uh, Jeter Downs, as it turns out, is reunited with his uh, brother Jerry Downs uh, on the Red Sox. Jerry's like five years older than him and plays first base. Uh, so that's a st- nice silver lining. Well, hopefully and they get along. I'm sure they do. They're blood relatives. I mean, a lot of blood relatives don't get along. I feel like brothers tend to. I don't know. I don't have any brothers or sisters for that matter. Um, yeah, that's true. I was. I would give it good odds that they're happy to be reunited. Um, but probably they won't end up playing for the same affiliate. No, but you know, I don't know. At least well, they don't they'll have get any... to hang out together right now at spring training. Maybe. Do you think? Do you think it's ever awkward if you have to like? Probably not. Probably you're a professional and you can deal with it. But I was gonna say at least they can avoid the awkwardness of having to compete against one another. I think that they do play different positions, but the awkwardness is probably inherent in that Jeter Downs is more likely to be uh, a good major league baseball player than his brother Jerry Downs, who's older than him. That actually is, that's that's probably more awkward than, like, Colin Moran playing against Brian Moran or something like that. Yeah. Um, oh, and an unrelated uh, trade that has nothing to do with this first trade at all whatsoever. No connection, not a 30-team trade, just two two-team trades. Uh, the Dodgers traded Kenta Maeda and hired Camargo to the Twins for Luke Raleigh, Brewster Graterall. And future considerations. So now the Dodgers also have Brewster Graterall. Which? I don't understand how they've made out like such devious bandits. I think that they... Accurately understand that the way to win at baseball is to spend money on it. Yeah, but even they are pursuing roster flexibility. Like then, um... They're under the luxury tax threshold, too. But I, I think one thing that the Dodgers do understand uh, is how to uh, balance their need for roster flexibility with their need to spend a lot of money on players in a more They're effective very, way than other teams. It's a very effective front office, I'm sorry to say. I'm incredibly sorry to say it. Baseball Prospectus projects they're going to win 103 games this year. 
I think it's hilarious that no team has ever been as heavily favored over like a long period of time as the Dodgers without ever having won a World Series. And that's complicated by the fact that the Astros cheated in 2017. Uh, but I still think it's very funny. Um, I think it's gleefully funny that they haven't won the World Series, but that glee is tempered by incredible sadness that they have Mookie Betts on their team. And will probably win the World Series now? They're always probably going to win the World Series, yes. Must be a frustrating uh, reality in which to live for you. It's scary. I really don't want that to happen. I prefer that they mire in um, incompetence. Mm-hmm. I miss the Frank McCourt era when their team was bad and poorly run. Sure. Although that is less fun ultimately for the rivalry, it's also less nerve-wracking for me. Back when they were kind of incompetent. Yeah. That's how I feel about the Cubs. Well, the you Cubs are kind of incompetent Cubs. now, too. Yeah. Mm. Now they're not that good again. They're fine. I don't know. They're better than the Pirates. The, the, the nice thing about the Cubs when they were really bad is that at least they were as bad <laughs> at any given time. Right. Misery uh, loves company, as they say. Yeah. And also loves an opportunity to win occasionally. Um... I'm sorry. This year, the Pir- the Cubs will probably be around 500, and the Cubs will be uh, sub-500. You mean the Pirates? Did I get that all wrong? Cubs, around 500. Pirates, yeah. sub-500. Terrible baseball team. Just nothing going on at all for them. Well, maybe they'll have a renaissance from... Oh, no, they traded him. Mm-hmm. Well, ma- oh, no, he's gone. He's <laughs> hurt again. Jamison Tyon is out for another full season. What? Yeah. Did we talk about that? I feel I forgot. Oh my goodness. Did I break a story? <laughs> I probably knew but had forgotten. That's devastating. He had another Tommy John. Yeah. Well, wait, hang on. Yeah, second tie on his second Tommy John surgery to miss twenty twenty season. Fun. <laughs> that guy also had testicular cancer recently. Maybe it would benefit the Pirates to... Do you... Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> I mean, do, so do you... Hmm. They have to sell the team. That would help. I was wondering if you can dissolve your team and then just get all new players, like in an expansion draft. Hmm. Just the whole farm system... Have a, have a real fire sale? Yes. Everything must go. Every, yes. I honestly... No, it would be, fr- it would be frustrating as a fan uh, to watch that happen. To lose all it your would, remaining favorites. It would really seem like... I mean, it wouldn't just seem like it would be evidently true that the pirates had given up completely. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I'm, consider this. What if they hung a giant banner outside of PNC Park that said, um, Abandon Hope, uh, ye who enter here? And that's like, it, it's at, at first blush, it seems like a very spooky and threatening thing. It seems like it's they're being like, leaning into the pirate theme, but then... On its face, yeah, it's very piratey, but then when you really read into it, it's like, oh, all these players are completely without hope. Exactly. <laughs> including uh, the entire front office and uh, all the way down to just, like, the people who work at the concession stands and stuff. (laughs) 
I'm sure that would be great for morale. And also, they don't turn the lights on during night games. Oh, God. (laughs) That's too much. That's player safety. Also, fan safety. They could have, um, you know, like those lights that you stick into the ground in your garden? Yes. Just have those running along the first and third base line so the players can kind of see. Well, the players who are running down the first and third base lines can kind of see. But everyone else. The pitcher, catcher, outfielders, second baseman, shortstop. Well, you can give them like one of those headlights like a miner wears. Oh, that's kind of cool. Night baseball. Maybe that would be fun. What if instead of nighttime baseball, they all had to dress in full knight's armor? <laughs> Again, I feel you have gone too far. So, uh, in the mid- there was some more Astros cheating news. Um, Wait, do you want to talk about that first, or do you want to talk about Rob Manfred? I just wanted to set up the Rob Manfred news contextually. Um, okay. There was all... I, I, there was so much Astros news this week. It really keeps on coming. But in the midst yeah. of something that seemed bad for the league, somehow mysteriously this news dropped that Rob Manfred was considering expanding the playoffs for 14 teams, uh, two 14 teams for the 2022 season, uh, oh, which do you think perhaps that? was like a savvy media play to try to uh, arrest the public's attention momentarily. Didn't work. No, it didn't. It didn't, because then the Astros had a press conference. Right. There was more <laughs> Astros news. And then the owner of the Astros said, we didn't cheat, and I don't want to hear it from anybody who says we did. It was very, it was very strange. The, they held a press conference in which they gathered to apologize and didn't. It was, it was a true debacle and reminds me of this opinion. I think Mm -hmm. that the Astros should absolutely lean into this. They're too far down the rabbit hole. Jim Crane already said that the yes we cheated but uh, it didn't matter, um, and now they should um, they should be the big wrestling heels and um, be mean to every team. Someone else wrote an article about this, but they suggested that in the dugout they should have little trash cans and they bang on them all the time. Um, that would be funny. I'm thinking about it. Yeah, I think it would be funny. I think you're right. I think. I my my opinion on all of this is kind of crystallizing. Uh and although I still don't feel very strongly about their cheating, I the realize I realize that the reason that I don't feel strongly is because they didn't hurt me. Uh at all. Nor do they owe me any sort of apology. That doesn't mean that they didn't do anything wrong. Just that as a fan of baseball, as one of Hundreds of thousands to millions of fans of baseball. Mm-hmm. Probably in the millions at this point. Certainly. Um, like, any apology directed at me is entirely hollow. Uh, and it's evident that... Because they didn't do anything wrong to me. I think they owe their fans an apology. Um, I mean, what but, about the fans of the teams that they played in 2017? I think that it, it sort of becomes less and less of impactful Uh or like at at some point it becomes almost counterproductive I feel I don't it's just like how can you apologize Uh, like the kind the 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 substance of all of the apologies was just like yes we knew like yes we know now what we did was wrong just like you don't I, I, I 
I'm annoyed, I guess. I'm not. Ugh. No, I'm really not. This is this is the competitive spirit of baseball. Rearing its ugly head. This is what happens. They're only sad that they got caught. Uh, I think you're right, ultimately. I've talked myself into it. I think you're right that they should just lean into being the bad guys and be jerks all the time. I think it's very fun to have a an antagonist in the baseball world, especially if they're a very good team, as they will be. Um, Forever. Do you think there are too many antagonists in the world right now? <laughs> of course, yes. Uh, do you think that we can uh, afford another one? Hmm. My inclination, and I'm going to have a but on this, my inclination is to say, well, uh, no, of course not. The Astros are fundamentally divided from the real antagonists that we face. But on the other hand, that's kind of something I've been grappling with a lot. You can hear my meditations on this on Elle's podcast if you'd like. Um, But I wonder if like the worlds that we construct in our fictionalized imaginings are you know have a real impact and whether we're somewhat responsible for the violence of our imaginations well at very least in this case it seems like a chicken and egg thing because what what i thought of when i watched that jim crane press conference uh was that what he said was awfully trumpy Mm -hmm. uh yeah he said that lies are the truth I, i think he probably would not have gotten away with that in a different context yeah um, but the, the, the Trumpy context in which we find ourselves in and like, who knows where that came from. It might be some horrible ancient thing that's always existed and like whatever, like fiction we produce has no bearing because reality is reality. I think you're right. I, we talked about this in regards to the juice baseballs. If you recall, Rob Manfred simply saying at one point that the balls were not juiced and how that feels like a product of the Trump era. Like, we're just living at a time when these blatant lies feel more acceptable. Yeah, and I'm just saying, like... Yeah, it all ties together. I'm not sure if there's anything that, like, changing fictionalized narratives would do about that. Because also, like, we've had... I don't know. Maybe maybe it does. Ooh. The stories we tell affect the way that we see the world. I mean, that's yeah. the whole point of stories. Yeah, and stories are getting kind of grody lately. <laughs> they are, are they not? <laughs> I know, I know. I, I just love your phrasing on that. Well, I don't know. It seems an appropriate word. Yeah, absolutely. We just, we love a bad guy now. Uh, we were very com- compelled by a villain. Uh, so, uh, speaking of villains, to get back to this playoff format that yeah. leaked in the midst of all this news, um, if if Major League Baseball expanded to fourteen teams, um, there would be two extra wild card teams per uh, league, and then there would be an additional three game series and all kinds of crazy stuff that. The idea behind it would be that it would encourage more teams to compete, which it would, but it would also, if you extended it backwards, would mean sub-500 teams would be making the playoffs every other year or so, which would probably mean that it would just encourage a lot more teams to aim for the very middle and hope that they sneak into the wildcard spot, which some teams already do, and it would just encourage a lot more of that quasi-mediocrity, and uh, very few teams would aim to be very good. 
Uh, it, it's altogether too many uh, playoff teams, in my opinion, and I think most people agreed with my take on that. Yeah, this is pretty similar. Not exactly similar, but like the expansion numbers and the sort of added level to playoffs are similar to... No, that's not true. The number one seed has to play in the first round. Well, it doesn't matter. The, the playoff expansion looks to me to be very similar to what the NBA's playoff uh, uh, um, structure looks like. Right. And the effect of that, which is seen almost every year, is that like the middle of the season, this time of year, this January, February time, yes. matters very little. Yeah. Um, and it's like very boring. Mm-hmm. Even... Even as like there's serious competition, and you know the Sixers just played the Clippers, and they played the played all these other teams that they'll probably see in the playoffs and and truly complete compete with. Every game that like a team underperforms is kind of taken with a grain of salt as being like, and this is especially happening with the Sixers right now is saying like, well, this is a team that was built for the playoffs. This is a team that like, you know, may seem like they're underperforming right now, but when it comes time to play when it matters then you'll see um but right now is right now and right now it's kind of boring um and baseball is already sort of inherently a very boring sport um and i i can't imagine what baseball slowed down in that way (laughs) would possibly look like uh i think that they need to cut games i think that i think that 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 should be and anybody who's trying to change baseball their highest priority right now should be to cut games they might do that in the next cba which is coming up they play like 27 games a month a lot a lot um but it is nice yeah and i mean it makes sense like it, it it fits for baseball because that's not a game like it's a game that you can play 27 games a month well <laughs> Kind of. Kind of. It seems like people actually can't really do it. Maybe in the olden days when people weren't given 100% max effort on every play, you could. Um, these days it does seem like it hurts people. Nobody plays 162 games anymore, um, like Matt Kemp did. I wish they just wish they would cut it. I wish that they would just streamline. I think that it's not such a terrible idea to let more teams into the playoffs. And I, I think that... Baseball as it is right now will probably show a lot of teams aiming for the middle, but I I also think that over time, it will develop like the NBA developed. I mean I don't I'm not I can't say to exactly what it looked like before, but at the moment there are a lot of teams that are primed to be very good teams for a while, and you know have shots at championships. And you're shaking your head. Oh yeah, I disagree with you. Okay, say why. Baseball is just it's too random. Right, you already mm-hmm. have an issue in the playoffs, wherein uh, the best teams do not have a significant advantage, and you're just going to exacerbate that. You don't think that the the concept of teams picking their opponents wouldn't contribute to eliminating some of the randomness? No, of course not. I think it'd be fun. Part of this proposal is that uh, teams would get to pick their opponents based on their playoff seating order which would be fun and interesting strategically but i don't think it would have any actual impact on the results of the games i mean teams are already seated against teams that are furthest away from them in the playoff brackets so you know it it should it should favor the good teams anyway and it does to an extent but you see the worst teams advancing uh, quite a lot 
Well, who can say whether anything will change? Probably something mm-hmm. will at the CBA, but... Uh, it's probably going to be big changes. Players very upset, not just about uh, money now, but also about the Astros. So uh, tensions boiling over, um, uh, seething players, um, ownership defensive, Rob Manfred, uh, goof, uh, <laughs> lots of um, worries approaching, and arrived already. Uh, like Ron Renicky. Like what? Ron Renicky, our number one worry. <laughs> the Red Sox are the last team uh, I wanted to say the last team who were embroiled in this scandal Who were able to replace their manager But the Mets were not embroiled in this scandal As we've discussed uh, At any rate The Red Sox um, Have hired a replacement At least on an interim basis I don't. Is he the interim I manager? I believe he's named interim manager The expectation is that he'll manage for this year like I suggested, Ron. all the teams do, and only one of them listened to me. So thank you, Red Sox, for listening to the pod. Ron Ronicky, uh is the Red Sox new manager. Ren Ronicky. Ram Rodicky. His name is Rom, Ron Rob. <laughs> His name is Rob Redicky. Rob Redicky. Rod Redicky. Ren. His name is Ron. Rod. Ram. Gene Roddenberry. <laughs> They actually brought him back from the dead to manage the Red Sox, and he's not appreciative of it. Why would he be? He he finally arrived at a slumber, and also he doesn't know anything about baseball. Probably not nothing, but probably not enough to manage a baseball team. I don't know he's much TV. about Gene Roddenberry, but I would expect that he probably was a baseball fan. He's a TV writer, though, by profession. <laughs> if, if Hyam Bloom had wanted to bring him back to life so he could, I don't know, try to reboot star trek which is uh, already happening by the way he can get um, his own cbs all access spinoff exactly but if you're looking for a baseball team i guess ron renicky is your guy gene roddenberry did not want sports to be part of star trek um here's the the lead from an article gene roddenberry didn't like famous sports being part of the trek's future universe but deep space nine was able to change that as the first trek series premiering following his death so they explicitly um, waited until he died. Waited until he died to put sports on Star Trek. Wonderful. Good. So he would probably he's not going to be happy with his new assignment managing the Boston Red Sox. No, or with Deep Space Nine, which he'll un- undoubtedly discover <laughs> upon being reborn. Um, there's a lot of Star Trek for him to watch. We'll see how he feels about the J.J. Abrams movies. Anyways, I guess that's it for the comrades of baseball. <laughs> Uh, (laughs) (laughs) all right i'm sorry that that was a very bleak way to end well we could be even bleaker um that's the end of uh days beautiful i hope everybody enjoys the afterlife uh but in the meantime here's a tot stove (laughs) Uh, no nick martini got dfa'd again uh, what an incredible tragedy of an offseason this has been for Nick Martini, who has been DFA'd once again, this time off of the Phillies. We'll see where he ends up, but this is becoming something of a legendary offseason for the Dirty Martini. What is this, four times now this offseason? Uh, three. Only three? DFA'd by the Padres in November and the Reds in January. And now the Phillies in February. Well... Um, we'll see where he catches on. Here's, here's hoping he can find a home. 
It might still be with the Phillies. He might just go to their rider leagues. If history is to be my guide, I would expect that another team is going to pick him up. Because he's kind of good? He's, he's good enough to be the 26th man on a 26-man roster, apparently, but not quite good enough to be better than the, the other 26th man that they have their eye on. All right, well, we'll, we'll obviously keep an eye on him. Uh, uh, former Tater Tots, actually, I think both of them, yeah, former Tater Tots, well, yes. yeah, Raja Davis and Bartolo Colon, uh, signed deals to play in the Mexican League. Good for Bartolo. He's, he was not a Tater Tot this year. We're supposed to be talking about... No, he did not play in Major League Baseball this We're year. We're supposed to be talking about Rajai Davis, but good for Bartolo. The news was Rajai Davis, but, uh, you know... Yeah. It's Bartolo. Bartolo Colon, one of the most famous tater tots of all time. Still playing baseball. A career tater tot. Is he? He hit only one home run. Ever? Is that true? I believe so. I mean, it's a very famous home run. I remember the home run. I just could have swore there was another one. Um, I'm happy for him. He's like 50 and still playing baseball. Yeah. That's dope. Um... He, he plays with a lot of joy, and now they're both playing for the same team in the Mexican League. Good for them. Yeah. Uh, Brandon McKay is going to switch to a more regular pitching schedule, which means that there is not any more time built into his schedule for hitting. The, t- uh, the Rays say they're going to keep working on his hitting, but I'm reading between the lines. And what that tiny between-the-line t- text says to me is... They are giving up on him as a hitter because they want him to be a good pitcher for them. Well, I don't know. You still have to, like, you have to qualify as one before you can qualify. Like, it's easier to be a pitcher first. The rules make it easier. You to mean be in the one. two-way player designation? Yeah. The rules make it easier to be a pitcher first. Yeah, but I don't think that they're doing this in order to qualify him as a two-way player. I think they're doing this because they want him to pitch more often because he's good at pitching. Yeah, but I mean, I'm I'm saying that like. The way the rule is set up, it's 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 intended to value pitching, right? So like, the the even even if even if they want to prior prioritize him as a pitcher in the long term, like that's that's what they have to do to make him a two way player. Also, so I must disagree. I do not think that the subtleties of the rule are having an effect on this decision, which affects the rest of Brendan McKay's career. I don't think, like, whether he's designated a two-way player in June or August is at the front of their minds. Yeah, but in order to be designated a two-way player at all, he has to be a pitcher first. Does he? Yeah. Yeah, you can't I, switch. I, you can't once. You can't. Yeah. I had this rule pulled up. He just has to make so many starts. They finally came out with the official rules, by the way, and it is 13 pitchers on a roster. I'm getting this rule pulled One up we again. were so confused about when we did our two-way player episode. Pitchers aren't able to switch from pitcher to position player during an ongoing season, but they could switch from pitcher to two-way player to the season once they have met the necessary requirements. But not from position player to pitcher? To qualify for a two-way designation, a player must pitch 20 major league innings and have 20 games. Oh, only players designated in pitchers as pitchers are allowed to pitch in games, including the postseason, unless the game goes to extra innings, uh, the player's team is winning or losing by six or more runs, or the player has already earned the two-way designation. So you have to pitch. Like, only pitchers are allowed to pitch, so you have to be a pitcher in order to be a two-way But he player. can, I mean, he can be designated as a pitcher regardless and still hit. Yeah, but you have to get those innings. Okay, but and only I mean, they're going to are... do it with Shohei Otani. Shohei's not going to pitch till May. Right. And he's 
I, I just, I, I, I cannot believe that this decision is motivated by some kind of, you know, well, small rule change such as that. I think it has more to do with the fact, as we discussed on our two-way players episode, that Brendan McKay is already a good baseball pitcher and has not demonstrated that his bat is able to keep up in the big leagues. And I think they're prioritizing what's going to gain their team value. I don't I don't doubt that they're doing that. I just think that it's an open question as to his status as like a hitter also. Like, I, I, I don't think the book is closed on Brendan McKay as a two-way player. And you do. I don't think it's closed. I'm just like... Closing. You're closing it. I was just trying to demonstrate with my hands how close the book was to being closed. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't see your hand gesture. That's okay. Okay. What else? Oh, Ben Zobrist is dead. Uh, ben Zobrist uh, is not dead. In fact, he just seems to have quietly retired. Some reports came out from the Cubs front office who said, yeah, he doesn't seem like he's very interested in playing. And what an interesting and perhaps... Um, Appropriate way for Ben Zobris to go out. Quietly? Quietly. Is that appropriate? He made his career as one of the most quietly valuable players in baseball. And now he exits as one of the most quietly significant retirements of the offseason, you know? He's just in his house banging pots and pans now. Yeah. Which must be such a relief. Um, but he has, they're covered in um, like sound absorbent foam. <laughs> That's just for the baby. Ben Zobrist, huh? That was the guy that I always wish could be a pirate. Mm. Like most good players. Yeah. Well, rest in peace. Bravich Valera reunited with Manny Machado at last. Maybe we shouldn't have put this one last. <laughs> <laughs> Bravich Valera uh, was claimed off of waivers by the Padres. He had been waived by the Toronto Blue Jays. Uh, He's also had something of an offseason, much like Nick Martini. Has he? Hasn't he? Hasn't he been on this segment at least two other times? No, I think he's hanging around. I think he hung around with the Blue Jays for a while. Okay, well, never mind. Uh, congratulations to Breivik. I hope that he has lots of success um, He was on his new team, the uh, San Diego Padres. He was the only name, I think, that the Orioles got for Manny Machado uh, from, the, Do- oh, from really? the Dodgers. Oof. They got like a bunch of prospects and also Bravich Valera. Uh, and now he's back with Manny Machado. Not back with. He is playing baseball with Manny Machado now for the first time. I'm going to go. I'm just going to check quickly who was traded for Manny Machado. Wait, uh, wasn't he a free agent? No, they, they traded him to the Dodgers in midseason. Then he became a free agent. Yeah, you're right, you're right, you're right, you're right. Um, Ryan Bannon, Yusniel Diaz, Dean Kramer, Zach Pop, and Bravich Valera. Yusniel Diaz, I think, was a big name, too, but he was, like, a big prospect, I think. Yeah, there were a couple of big prospects in that group. Valera was the uh, only one. That... But now I'm, the one I'm looking at is Zach Pop, uh, just because of his fun name. Pop. He was born in Brampton, Canada. Brampton. Yeah, Brampton, Canada. Is his name spelled that? Uh, and he did go to school at Notre Dame... Uh, SS, I don't know what that stands for, in Brampton, Ontario. Secondary school. Secondary school, very smart. Canada. I think it's just high school. I figured it was something. I'm sorry, I just got a little sidetracked by Zach Pop. Pop. Is it with three Ps or four Ps? (laughs) Just 
Wait. Just two just two total two P's. Two total P's. He's pop. He's just Zach Pop. Pop. That is fun. Pack Zop. Zop. That's not even better. Pack Zop. No, not really. Zach Pop. Zach Pop. Pack Zop. Pack Zop. Okay. Hello. Hello. We have to do this Todd of the Week now. Uh, it's Matt Kemp. He plays for the Marlins. He's played for lots of teams. We're going to watch his dinger. Uh-oh, Matt Kemp. Is it his first as a red? Yes, indeedy. I will say this for Matt Kemp, and I think the same is true for Yasiel Puig. If they use the right center field to the right field line in this ballpark, they'll both hit 30-plus. We're going to say a lot of things about Matt Kemp, but before we say anything else, I do want to say that this is a, it's an impressive uh, piece of hitting. Um, it's a nice little piece of hitting. I, I think it's clear that he wasn't expecting that pitch. Uh, he did not get his legs into the ball at all. It pretty much just mm-hmm. turned his hips and, and let it fly to the opposite field. Yeah, it wasn't the prettiest swing, I don't think, no. but uh, it did count for one run. At least. Did you not have anybody on base? I don't think so. Well, one run for Matt Kemp. Way to go. Uh, and that was all that he would score that season. Yep. <laughs> uh, Matt Kemp may have been kind of a creep. Might still be kind of a creep. I don't know. This this kind of um. This was a surprise. You know, when we pick we pick the players ahead of time. We'll do like a little bit of research as we prepare the list for the season. Yeah. Um, and Matt Kemp was kind of like a slam dunk contest for us picking because he's a big name. Um, yeah, and I mean, it's also worth noting that we picked Odubel Herrera on purpose so that we could talk about uh, problems of domestic violence in professional sports. Um, yeah, I don't mean to say that we're trying to shy away from issues of domestic violence. No. Um, just that I, I didn't expect this to come up on our Matt Camp episode. This it, it, it came as a surprise to me, and it's... Yeah, no, that's... I, I, it's, it's sad. Like, I just... it really reinforces what we've talked about on these episodes about what a systemic issue this is um and it popping up in places we didn't expect is is really spiriting yeah i think all i meant by bringing up audible is the fact that you know it was something that we intended to discuss and did discuss uh yeah uh because it's important um but like you're saying it's significant that it kind of snuck back into the into the program um because there was a time when we weren't aware, we as like a society were not aware of every little transgression, and so mm-hmm. um, some people. I feel I feel bad like being the person to be like, oh, Matt Kemp has skated for too long, um, mm-hmm. but truly like Matt Kemp did a bunch of stuff that maybe doesn't rise to the level of horribleness that everybody else is, has, but it's, he put himself in certain situations and it seems on some level unfair that he's not seeing the same repercussions as everyone else. Absolutely. I I think what you're trying to get at is that because his, um, his infractions happened a while ago, Um, that nobody paid the same amount of attention and nobody's going back to think about them. But I think because Matt Kemp is at the tail end of his career, I don't think that a lot of this is going to catch back up to him. 
the closest it ever came to catching back up with him was when he was de- briefly dating notable pop singer Rihanna. Um, and people started digging into his past a little bit, right. but even that didn't seem to bubble too far to the surface. Yeah, I mean, that, 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 I think that that's really the extent of how any of this came out, right, is that mm-hmm. it was it came out in connection to his relationship with Rihanna, and yeah. um, uh, there were questions about how he treated um, former partners. There was There's a record of him having had a restraining order placed against him by one of his partners. Um for emotional abuse right okay so he got a restraining order from an old partner um who uh the restraining order accused him of constant verbal abuse and threats uh quote he has other people calling me stalking me and i feel very afraid for my safety and this was like all of the articles about this really focus on the response by matt kemp's lawyers that say oh this had nothing to do with physical abuse don't worry about it oh the charges were dropped nobody wants to think about this anymore right um and the phrasing of it was super strange to me the way that it zeroed in to say well he was not he was not battering this woman therefore it's okay even though the text of the restraining order explicitly identifies emotional and verbal abuse yeah that's i think that that, that's where the context comes into play pretty significantly because like that sensitivity to how men treat women uh, mm-hmm. was not surprising as it may be uh, was not as high even as recently as 2009 clicking this I think the rape accusation in 2009 the restraining order was more recent clicking the interview real quick 2010 yeah. 2010 um, yeah I mean uh, the, so the sensitivity isn't there and that provides a lot of leeway for people to defend themselves um uh and it's difficult because it's true that he may not have committed a crime he may have or he may not have and that's Mm -hmm. again like that's the sort of nature of prosecuting these kinds of crimes in court is is that the, the 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 advantage it seems to be on the side of the person who's saying I didn't do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and now that we do have the sensitivity to this kind of violence, um, but maybe that the courts haven't caught up, I, I, even if, you know, the man doesn't deserve to go to, quote unquote, deserve to go to jail or whatever, like, I still think that as a society, we have to be holding people to a standard and we have to recognize when the standard has been violated and be talking about it. I, 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 I feel the need to keep defending myself on this point. Um, not from you, but just like from the discourse. Yeah. Um, because I think that there's a lot of, um, complacency again, and a lot of willingness to just be like, well, this happened in the past and you know, we don't want to deal with it in the present. Um, but you got to recognize it, and 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 you got to. I think I think as a society, we've got to recognize where our shortcomings are and be able to improve on them. Um, and it's definitely a shortcoming, even if it, it it didn't stick or whatever. That the conversation came up at all. That anybody was like, "This guy made me feel unsafe." Like that. I'll yeah. I'll bleep that out. I guess. Yeah, I mean, we love our team. Even teen in the most important conversations, our T for team rating always comes first. <laughs>
Um, and I do, I mentioned this earlier, but I, I also want to say he was uh, accused uh, with four other basketball players during a high school tournament of raping a 19-year-old girl um, in a hotel uh, during a travel game. Yeah, and and yeah. and defended himself successfully on the grounds that he was young, that they were young, um, as though they. I don't know, I don't know. It... Quote: We were young, man, seventeen years old, having fun and playing basketball. All kinds of things go on when you're that age. But me and my friends never did anything like that. We were all better people for what did happen and what didn't happen. What does that mean? It doesn't mean anything. To, I uh, who. <laughs> I, you know, that, that, that quote doesn't hold a lot of water for me. With the incident that happened in high school, it was just being in the wrong place at the wrong time. It was just an accusation and it got dropped. Like, we know, like, at this point, we know enough stories about people, like, covering stuff up and, like, the extent that people will go to, like, intimidate witnesses to keep them from, from, from testifying to this kind of stuff. Um... There just has to be a higher, like, there, there, we have to be better... That's 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 the long and short of it. There there has to be some recognition in the moment that even if if it is what he says it is, and he was just in the wrong place at the wrong time, you need to have that awareness in the moment, and mm-hmm. and and speak on that in the moment and say this is wrong before it gets out of hand, before anybody else has the opportunity to tell you that it was wrong. I don't know. Yeah. Um. So it's with that as context that Matt Kemp's career that that we talk about Matt Kemp's career which uh, is kind of an interesting one like he is a hero to a lot of Dodgers fans and he was a, a brief shining star for that team um and he has had as so many tater tots have uh kind of a a disappointing and drawn out uh decline into mediocrity mm-hmm. well said um yeah, I mean, he was he was a star coming out of high school. As you mentioned, he was a basketball player, and he was great um, as a baseball player and a basketball player. He could have gone to school on a scholarship, but he chose uh, to go to the major leagues after he was drafted by the Dodgers in the sixth round. And he cl- climbed up the minors pretty quickly. Um, and, uh, you know, he was drafted in 2003, made the big league club in 2006, and... Um, he was a good, at that time, a great defensive outfielder, so he was playing center field um, and got off one to one of those rip-roaring starts. He hit four home runs in his first 10 days with the team. Um, he was eventually sent back down, um, but came back up in September. Um, he His next year missed some time for the first time after slamming into the outfield wall, which is something that he seemed really prone to do. Um... So he, he, he had an injury there, but he was really good. He hit 342, 373, 521 in, in the time he had in the majors. That reminds me of Bellinger a little bit. I mean, not th- Bellinger, I think, has been less injury prone. Uh-huh. Um, and also doesn't really slump. Um, so maybe not that much, but the the idea of like that having that outfield versatility and the bat, play center and right field. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I mean, Matt Kemp's career reminds me a lot of Troy Tulowitzki's. Mm. Um, I don't think that his high was quite as high, mm. um, nor as long. You know, he's not as close to a Hall of Famer as Troy Tulowitzki was, but um, he also, another... He's just like a lot more inconsistent, I think, than Tulowitzki was. 
I actually, if you go ahead and look at his wars, that came out sounding very condescending. I was looking, <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, I was looking at his wars on Baseball Reference, and I think it follows a pretty similar shape. Does it? Um, a couple of really good years, but in particular one, and then a pretty slow decline, except for the one really good year uh, at the end of his career. But even that was actually not very high anymore because of the defense. Yeah, he just has... He He's got the one eight-war season. 2011, yeah. And before yeah. before that, not bad, 3.9, 4.9, but a lot of ones, a couple negatives even. And then kind of middle of the road the rest of the way. Yeah. So oh, at wow. the... <laughs> it just really, <laughs> just at? really fell off after 11. 2.8, 0. 0.6, 1.3, 0.5, 0.2, 0. They have the problem with Kemp, it's the same problem with Tulowitzki, is that he had all these injuries and they limited his effectiveness as a center fielder for Tulowitzki, it was his play as a shortstop but both but they were at the two most premium defensive positions both developed this pedigree this idea of really good defensive players both of them won gold gloves earlier in their career um which kind of set them at these positions um probably to their detriment right uh for Kemp his third season um his age 23 season he was named the starting center fielder uh, he was named the starting right fielder for the dodgers but andrew jones busted his knee pretty quick and kemp was moved to center field where he stayed for a long time um he stole a lot of bases back then really agile hit for average and power he also hit he set the dodgers record for most strikeouts with 153 a record that has since been broken four times two of them by matt kemp uh dude loves to swing yeah, this guy strikes out a ton. Oh my god. He has 1,600 <laughs> career strikeouts. Yeah, 1,600? That's right. Oh my god. Who has the most strikeouts, like, as a hitter? Um, Reggie Jackson, 2,597. To me, that's a lot of strikeouts. Jim Tomey, uh, the, the, the highest... The, the leading active player in strikeouts is Mark Reynolds with 1,927. Curtis Granderson, I believe, recently retired, so mm-hmm. this, this Wikipedia page is a little out of date, but he's in second among quote-unquote active players with 1916. Then Chris Davis, 1835. Justin Upton, Miguel Cabrera. Actually, as strikeouts go, Matt Kemp uh, is uh, the 45th all-time in strikeouts. A lot. That is a that's, that's a lot. And like, one, two, three, four, he's like the fifth active. Did Miguel Cabrera retire yet? No. Yeah, fifth active. It's a lot. I would agree it's... that that's a lot of strikeouts. But, you know, I for a lot of strikeout-prone players, it means they're swinging for the fences, and Matt Kemp is among that group. He hit a lot of dingers sure. early in his career. Yeah, I mean, that's that's... I feel like it's tough to justify striking out that much by saying I'm going to hit some home runs because I feel like it never lasts. It worked for Matt Kemp for a couple of years. How many years? Uh, like three. <laughs> well. Um, I don't know. The year after that, he was really good. Yeah, He had five wars. He won a gold glove and a silver slugger. This uh, is 2000, 2009. I'm talking about the year 2009. But then the next yeah. year, and this is the weirdest thing, yep. he was terrible. He <laughs> he played all 162 games. 
But somehow he accumulated negative 1.1 wins. Um, there was some controversy earlier in the season when Ned Coletti said, well, this guy's terrible at running around the bases. He's always he's always goofing about, getting thrown out. Um, and the Dodgers fans loved to boo him that year. Yeah. A, incredibly should. strange little blip in, the, in between two excellent seasons because the next year he was worth eight wins. He was second in MVP voting. He made the All-Star game. He stole a bunch of bases. Uh, he's in the home run derby. It doesn't make any sense why that happened. Probably injuries, but just an incredible swing. God, wow. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just reading his stat lines from that season. That's. I was gonna say like maybe the maybe that's just like a big workload took a toll on him. But the season before he played in 159 <laughs> games, and the season after he played in 161. I don't. I don't know. One of the more inexplicable. <laughs> Little mini phenomena. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I probably, I, I, you'd have to think that it's just injuries catching up with him because that is right in the middle of four seasons in a row of mm-hmm. more than six hundred and fifty plate appearances. Yeah, uh, and then the in twenty twelve, the season after he came in second in the MVP vote, um, he only played in one hundred and six games. Yeah, as we mentioned, injuries really took a toll on him. There's one other thing that I want to mention, which is a mini-narrative within Matt Kemp's career, uh, which is that he is the world's worst home run derby participant. Um, Mm. (laughs) He participated twice in the home run derby, and has hit, in his career, three home runs in the home run derby. Um, In in, in 2010, um, his eight-win year, he hit two home runs in the derby. He came in last place. Do you think it's unfair to criticize Matt Kemp's physical fitness at this point in his career? At this point in his career? Not, not. When I say at this point, I mean at the point that he was participating in the Home Run Derby and had this, like, wild swing around uh, the 1.1, negative 1.1 war season. Uh, Possibly, I uh, I, I think I misspoke. I think the Home Run Derby was 2011. His 2010 season was when he was terrible. I think possibly that year it's fair to criticize his physical fitness, especially because his base running was so um, widely criticized. Um, but he seems like he took... If you're to believe Wikipedia, um, his renaissance in 2011 was entirely due to him showing up early to spring training to work on his base running. Um, <laughs> no, take that with a grain of salt, but yeah, I think you might be able to make the case that his conditioning was not up to par in that year. Shame for Matt Kemp. Uh, he lost his... Oh, we, we, uh, I, I, I want to talk a little bit about Ryan Braun. Um, Absolutely. Because we can't stop talking about cheating uh, and players with grievances. Uh, uh, the Of course, in uh, 2000... And, was it 10 or 11? I'm sorry. Um, 11. 2011, when, when Matt Kemp came in second place in MVP voting uh, to Ryan Braun. Um, yes. And later on down the road... It was revealed that Ryan Braun uh, failed a testosterone test and was suspended as part of biogenesis. Uh, Of course, the biogenesis scandal that got A-Rod, among others. Um, And at that point, Matt Kemp was asked, as Cody Bellinger would later be asked, uh, whether the MVP should be taken away from Ryan Braun. Uh, Cody Bellinger was asked this about Jose Altuve, not Mm -hmm. Ryan Braun. Uh, Echoes. Echoes of history. Echoes of history. Um, That's interesting. I hadn't actually I'll, made that connection, but it's it's obvious now that you say it. Uh, it's not a direct connection because Be- Bellinger, I think, was just advocating on behalf of Aaron Judge, 
um, instead of on himself, which is uh, what Matt Kemp was doing when yeah. he was asked whether he should uh, get whether the MVP award should be stripped from Ryan Braun. Um, he said yes, uh, just like Cody Bellinger said that the MVP award should be stripped from Jose Altuve. Um, I tend to agree. Really? I, yeah, I do. I think that I think that there is real meaning in that. Um, and contrary to what Rob Manfred, I think Manfred went on record as saying like that World Series ring is just a piece of metal and it doesn't mean anything to take a piece of metal away from someone. Um, and I think that's dead wrong. I think it's more. I think that Rob Manfred's case is more true of a World Series. If anything, I think it means more to take away someone's MVP award. Because you don't celebrate. There's no moment of catharsis for winning an MVP. Not no, but there's significantly less of one. That has more to do with the, your legacy. Whereas a World Series is all about that moment of celebration. It means less to take away a World Series win than an MVP. I just think that overall, it's. <clears throat> I think it's the only punishment that you can apply retroactively to this kind of thing. You could suspend someone for life. I suppose. Yeah, but that's that's I, that might be egregious. Uh, in some cases, I just think that like it's a lasting. Pu- it, it doesn't. It doesn't seem to do to just be like, well, we know that they cheated, and we suspended their manager and their GM for a, a season, and that's it. And they get to they get to keep the thing that they won from cheating. Um. And I think that, you know, people get, like, kind of fussy about vacated championships and, and, and the whatever lack of symmetry that brings to the history of baseball. But lack of symmetry is a punishment, right? Like, that blank space in the history books is your punishment. And I think it's an effective punishment, and I think it's worthy. Um, at the time, I, I especially thought it was worthy of Ryan Braun because that guy was a real creep and uh, was lying his face off to his teammates and in the press all the time mm-hmm. uh, about his involvement in biogenesis. Um, um, Altuve, I don't know. I, I think that we still need some perspective on it. Mm-hmm. Um, but suffice it to say, I, I think that, that that vacating championships, vacating uh, personal achievement award kinds of things, it's effective. It, 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 it means something lasting. It means that MLB did something about it to punish the the parties involved. Mm. You don't agree. Uh, I I think that's an interesting case. I my inclination is is to disagree, but maybe you're right. I mean, with with cheating with steroids, I have the same reservation, which is we do not know how widespread this was. Right? I don't know that Matt Camp was not also on steroids. <coughs> I don't know that the Dodgers were also not cheating. Well, but Matt Kemp wasn't talking about stripping the award from Braun and giving it to him. He was just talking about stripping the award from Braun. I'm going to go ahead and read the question as it was written. You might be right, but I'm not 100% sure. Okay, you're right. End of my statement. No, you're right. Jack O'Connell, secretary, treasurer of the Baseball Writers Association. Oh, it's not even MLB that gets to make this decision. It's the BWAA. So that the award sense. vote was... The award vote was final. Like, this thing. The decision was already made. He won it. But, like, then more information came out. I don't... Yeah. Like, I I, I, mean, I, I don't... I, I think it just goes to show cheating is okay as long as you don't get caught until afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> End of statement. 
Yeah. Uh, uh, well, let's keep pushing through here. Uh, after that good season that Matt Kemp had, he signed an eight-year, $160 million contract extension, which by today's standards seems utterly Nothing. quaint, but at the time was a big old big deal that ended up kind of ruining the rest of his career, as so many of these big contracts do. Mm-hmm. Um, also all the injuries. Well, with all the injuries, luckily he was good for at least one more year. Um, he did hurt his hamstring, which ended his career, le- or sorry, his league-leading 399 consecutive games played, but he did participate in the Home Run Derby, even though he was hurt, and guess what he did with his hurt hamstring in the Home Run Derby? He hit, what's three minus two? It's one home run. He hit one home run in the Home Run Derby, an absolute disgrace, a fool. Um, <laughs> I can't believe it. Uh, yep. Later in the season, he did hurt his knee and his shoulder after crashing into the wall. Um, he didn't stop playing after he did that, but after the season, uh, he had to have labrum surgery um, and uh, rotator cuff surgery as well because he crashed into the wall too hard. Um, and then for the rest of his career, except for one year kind of, he's been bad. Um, is terrible the next year. It seems like he hadn't really healed from injuries, and the Dodgers fans booed him again. Uh, he hurt himself a bunch more times that year, only got to play 76 games. There's a lot of trade talk about him, but he wasn't traded. Next year, um, he was moved out of center field finally, um, and he was not very good. And then finally, a year after that, he was traded to the Padres, um, who were very optimistic about him. They said, well, Matt Kemp is obviously going to bounce back. And then they got his medicals, uh, and they said, and he, well, this is bad. It looks like our friend Matt Kemp has arthritis in both of his hips. Um, can we change the trade? And the Dodgers said, no. And the Padres said, okay. <laughs> I love the Dodgers, truly. Uh, another example of them always getting what they want. Yeah. Uh, just terrible. Yeah. He found his way to the Braves uh, after 2017 yeah. right, because uh, uh, the Dodgers needed uh, roster flexibility. The He found his way to the Braves because the Padres needed roster flexibility. Did I say the Padres or the Dodgers? Dodgers. Padres. Yeah, he was bad on the Padres. They traded them to the Braves um, where he continued to be bad. But then here's the amazing thing. The, <laughs> I mean, so firstly, this trade warrants discussion. The Braves and the Dodgers... Oh. Yeah, sorry, go ahead. The Braves and the Dodgers traded a bunch of players around. Um, Matt Kemp went one way. Adrian Gonzalez, Scott Casimir, Brandon McCarthy, Charlie Culberson went the other way. A big, weird trade, and the entire crux of the trade was to get the Dodgers under the luxury cap. So, as we've discussed, the Dodgers sometimes also want to get under the luxury cap. The only point of this big, wacky trade was to move cash from one year to the other. Neither team actually took on more or less future considerations it was just when they were paying it um a very goofy and silly trade um but the idea for the dodgers was that they would immediately either flip or release matt kemp because he was worth nothing at that point mm-hmm. what happened what happened was they kept him on the team and somehow the one year he was again on the dodgers he was good yeah he had a career renaissance and everyone said this is the new matt kemp he's great again he's 35 years old <laughs> He's hip, he's cool, he's 35 years old. (laughs) 
Uh, yeah, then the, the Dodgers were able to flip him to the Reds. Astonishing. Suckers. Uh, and then, as part of that trade, who did they get? Homer Bailey. Jeter Downs. They got they and got Jeter Downs, who then they were able to flip for Mookie Betts. Unbelievable. I can't believe this. <laughs> really, really very striking. I, I think there's, like, maybe no reason not to be a Dodgers fan, like... The one reason win. is that you're it's like rooting for Darth Vader. You just win all the time though. Like I guess it's not like rooting for Darth Vader in that way. That guy didn't win very often at all. No. No. He lost I just like twice kind of. I don't remember what happens in six. Yeah. I I don't actually think I've ever seen six. Three times. He does die. What? He dies in six. He dies in six. Okay. Well. Spoiler. Just like the Dodgers. The Dodgers have died a thousand deaths. Huh. What do you mean by that? I don't know. They don't win any World Series. Oh, that's great. Like, for all this. I love that. Uh, (laughs) So, Uh, yeah, the Reds were like, oh, we love Matt Kemp. That's why we made this trade. We know that he's going to continue being good. They kept him around for almost a month, and he was so bad that they released him. Um, That year he did. That year was 2019. And he did hit a home run, which we discussed earlier. Yes, indeed. He also had the lowest sprint speed in baseball, which is pretty disappointing for a man who was once an elite center fielder and won a gold glove. He played for the Mets on paper. He did not. Yeah, so after the Reds released him, they, the Mets picked him up, and then he got hurt and never played for the Mets. And now he's on the Marlins. That's what happened. Here we are in the present day. He got signed to a minor league deal, and they said, oh, certainly Matt Kemp is going to bounce back. Um, I don't know why teams keep thinking that. The Dodgers were able to do that, but that's because the Dodgers have the Captain America serum. Mm. Do you think that uh, Matt Kemp and not Greg Bird is the centerpiece of our sad season? It depends what you mean by sad. He's got a lot going for him in terms of sadness. Like, just like a lot of, a, a lot of dimensionality. Right. Are, like, abuse allegations sad yes when i think of sad usually you're thinking of pity for the person yes i am and i'm and that's not the only definition of sad so you're probably right i get more outraged when i think about that's not even true i do get sad when i think about the abuse i just think in terms of like everything that he's bringing all greg bird brings to the table is that he's injured a ton um and he sacrificed what could have been a lucrative career for his injuries not sacrifice is the wrong word but you know he lost a lucrative career to injury and he did get his big contract so it wasn't all for not for him but yeah matt i mean very much in the in the oeuvre of sad seasons on tater tots keeps being injured yeah keeps having to play baseball yeah in some ways like it's a it's a punishment it's sisyphean yeah right I I'm I, I like I, I personally don't feel as sad when I think about Matt Kemp's story, mm-hmm. uh, but I think in terms of objective and overall sadness, he might take the case. There, yeah, you there's more sadness in this story. Although his injuries are not as severe as Tulowitzki's. No, but he keeps running into walls. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that's kind of joyful. I mean, that's a fun way to get hurt. It's not like slipping in the shower or something, you know. Not the way I'm thinking about it. I don't know. I, I I think it might just be specific to Matt Kemp that like his sort of verve for his for defending his position mm-hmm. is dis- is destroying him. Oh, 
I see what you mean. It's an ironic punishment. Yeah. I think that there's a lot. I think. <laughs> I think I I, I I definitely want to go back and review, and maybe that's what we're we're talking about what to do with our uh, sort of. We have an extra transition. week built into the schedule before baseball starts. We have a transition episode, and it, it might be worth to recap yeah. and determine the saddest who... uh, time. <laughs> the, uh... I mean, we can call that the sad season finale. Yeah, it's like the MVP of sadness. SVP. Sad, sad valuable, valuable player. player. <laughs> no, MSP, obviously. Most sad player. <laughs> <laughs> we'll keep workshopping that. <laughs> things to come yeah um that's it for matt kemp um and that's gonna do it uh for another week of tater tots before we go we have a snake fact for you uh in 1995 jerry colangelo basketball uh uh consigliere father of brian colangelo who's a fascinating person in his own right we'll link that article Uh, in the show notes Absolutely, we will. Uh, in 1995, Jerry Colangelo was dedicated to bringing a baseball team to Phoenix, Arizona, um, and took out a full-page ad in the Phoenix Sun to advertise a team naming competition for the eventual franchise. The winning submission was named in honor of the Western Diamondback Rattlesnake, a species native to Arizona and the Southwest. And as a point of interest, uh, the other uh, options in the top five were uh, the Phoenix, the Coyotes, the Rattlers, and the Scorpions. That's going to do it for us this week on Tater Tots. As always, you can donate to Baseball for All uh, by clicking the link in our show notes. That's an initiative that gets girls involved in these baseball programs around the country. It's very important. You can follow us on Twitter at Tater Tots Pod. You can like us on Facebook by visiting the Facebook URL, facebook.com slash Tater Tots Pod. Or you can email us, tatertotspod at gmail.com. Next week, we'll be talking about the MVP of the Boston Red Sox, uh, Steve Pierce, of course. Uh, and until then, we will, uh, the, the, I don't know, talk to you later. All right, bye. The most rudimentary division of competition Networks collide To be the biggest fish in the smallest pond On the middle of the island where I shall reside Texas League And meanwhile after too much And also from running too fast You run out of gas But that's not possible The littlest league possible